This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast illuminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. From the office and manufacturer of Syraclad in Redmond, Washington, and on location, this is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast. For our guest today, I'm honored and happy and excited to talk today with uh, Ken Lowney. Ken is a, is a renowned architect and founded Lowney Architecture in 2003 and is president of the firm. Ken has worked with small and large companies, nonprofits, city governments, communities, and private developers in Northern California and throughout the United States. His project's expertise includes grocery stores, retail, multifamily housing, restaurants, offices, parking structures, and master planning. Lani Architecture has won particular acclaim for its vertical grocery store and prefabricated multifamily housing designs. The firm has won numerous, I mean numerous, design awards from professional organizations, including the Golden Nugget Award and the American Institute of Architects. Feel free to visit their website at lowneyarch.com. Again, that's lowneyarch.com. Hello, Ken, and welcome to your show today. Glad to have you and great to see you too. Thank you. Hey, Ken, um, as we talked about in our virtual green room, uh, we, we like to start it with a quote or uh, an axiom. And share with, this, sh- share with your audience today your, yours. Well, I, I guess I have many, but what came to mind just out of nowhere was Winston Churchill's quote, I, and this is a paraphrase, you know, if, you're, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Um, and I think that that may apply to so many of us in the time of COVID and as we pull out of COVID, you know, we, I guess we're all going through different kinds of hell at different times um, in this pandemic, in this quarantine and economic shutdown. So um, the only way out is keep going, get to the other side. On that note, how is it working with uh, Downey Architecture and uh, how do you keep staying as innovative as you are and as recognized as you are through the hell through the hell you know i think doing things like this is really important and so i try to have not just myself but get more colleagues in the office get out um, virtually and talk sort of engage with the public and get some responses back to the kinds of things we're doing um, so i think it's really important that we do that we're doing a lot of you know we frequently talk about off-site you know prefabricated construction in its mm-hmm. various manifestations and that's really one of the most direct ways we were trying to help, you know, innovate and solve the, the housing crisis. So, you know, internal knowledge sharing and then external knowledge sharing. So there's several folks in my office who, you know, would be on panels for, you know, various nonprofit housing organizations, um, business organizations, just to get the word out and, uh, you know, elicit questions and hopefully move the ball a little bit further down the field. Yeah. There's understanding and interest in those things. On the subject of relationships, have you ever quantified a percentage of your work that's actual design and process and then how much is actually the relationships with people? I mean, me personally? Yeah, personally and as, as a firm. 
You know, if you've ever, oh. I don't know if you've done a quantification of it, but I, how much is relation? Yeah. So you mean like how much of it is just talking to clients and city officials and contractors and how much is sitting in front of a computer working on a Revit model? That's actually better stated. Um, I, I, you know, the, the productivity, when I first started this office, it was sort of like Revit was just coming out, you know, this is 20 years ago. I thought, how are we gonna? How am I gonna set this thing up? And I thought, I'm gonna have fewer architects working for me, who are, but they're more effective. Like at the time, I thought, oh, each single architect who's working in Revit might be three times more productive than someone doing AutoCAD. I don't know if that's true or not. It might not be, but I, I, I think that we're definitely getting more productive, and that so that's as far as producing what people stereotypically think architects do, which is drawing. And I mean, certainly drawing is a part of it, but it's the thinking behind the drawing that is probably more important. And the drawing is just a vehicle for that thinking. Um, so I think that through time, more and more is spent in communication, you know, presenting, writing, uh, and, and the like, and then developing that the drawings kind of follow along with that. but. Um, it's a, you know, there's so many different ways to practice architecture too. Thinking behind the drawing, how, is there a share with us the process of that thinking? Because there's a, I would think there's a tremendous amount of think, thinking and introspection and observation that goes into before you actually put something. I'll use a, a literal term, a, a pen to paper. Before that happens, there's got to be a tremendous amount of emotional labor mental, physical labor, uh, even spiritual labor before you actually go, okay, here's where we're going to go with this. Can you, can you, can you further dive into that? If that, unless that's too heads of a question. That's a pretty deep philosophical <laughs> question. There, <laughs> um, and I, and as a, my first degree is actually philosophy. So I, I oh. walk around the house with philosophy books all the time here, <laughs> but, um, wow. the, a lot of the, the, work that we do is more um, more mundane, which we're like, we're tr trying to actually solve a problem. You know, there's a site and the client comes to us with a particular brief or program. We're trying to, can that site accommodate this program and how well? And so there's a, there's a analytic, you know, quantitative component that's that drawing and, and math are very appropriate for. And it's, it's the qualitative uh, aspect I think you're pointing to, which is points to either the world of ideas, how does the project fit into the history of architecture, or how does the project address, you know, the, the needs, the spiritual and aesthetic needs and social needs of its residents. They're kind of three different things, but so certainly people, clients, cities are less, you know, so actually I like throwing, you know, it's a wonderful framework to think about the design qualities of a, of a project is, the, is sort of the, the ideas, the motivating ideas of the project, the organizing principles. But also, it, those, those don't necessarily address, you know, what it's like to live there, or how do you people use the space, or how do people, how do the uses change over time? So I think that different projects get different parts of the architectural, the full architectural approach addressed to it, whether, you know, quantitative, the, the use user experience, if you will, or the 
philosophic aesthetic. So it, it sort of depends on the on the project, I would say. But it's a mixture of the of the, of the three for sure. That I'm putting here my own words, and if I'm wrong, correct me, please. Uh, people are a primary part of the process. That's that's what I've noticed in a lot of your projects. It looks like you kind of, and I've said this once in a while uh, with, with folks, but I really sense it. You start like from the human out, whereas most people I think perceive it as it's the building and not that, but it, it, it seems like you start from the person outward and then begin. Is that incorrect, wrong, or, or the people? I think that's, it's, it's, it's part of the process, but it's not the, not the whole process. Okay. I mean, um, you, if you don't take into account the user, you're going to have a real sorry building, that's for sure. Um, but you also have to, there, there's this, there's the, so the user experience, you can break that down into so many different ways. So like just a functional, like, does it work for its intended purposes? Whatever it is, you know, is it a, is it a housing unit? Is it a place to live and, and now work? Or is it a, a, a grocery store or a shop or something? What is this? Or is it a hospital? You know, some, some spaces have very, very specific needs that have to be tailored very highly to, um, to their uses. But I think that good design communicates behavior possibilities and doesn't overprescribe them and doesn't leave you hanging about like, what do you do in this space? So it should give cues to how to navigate, uh, how to enjoy uh, the space, but not be too, too much so and, and should ideally be flexible enough to accommodate unanticipated future uses. I mean, that's how great cities keep on getting greater because the, the buildings get reused for other purposes and they, the life of the residents in the city keeps on going. And the, and the, and the architecture in the city, the, the physical parts of the city evolve along with it. Fascinating. You're listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast presented by SiraCloud. We're talking today with Ken Lowney, architect and founder of Lowney Architecture. For more information feel free to visit your website at lowneyarc.com. That's lowneyarch.com. Ken, can you describe your most recent project or projects? And you don't have to name names, but uh, you know, just some of the um, facets to it and for your audience yeah, today. Yeah, um, one project that we're thinking about a lot, I'm thinking about a lot, is a project in El Cerrito del Norte called the Mayfair Project. And it's uh, interesting in so many ways. It's uh, right across the street from the BART station. So it's ultimate TOD, transit-oriented mm -hmm. development. And it's made in a factory offsite. So it's a modular project. And it's mixed use and mixed income. And uh, so it's got two different Developers, a for-profit developer and a, and a non-profit developer, and they they actually the buildings are physically separated, but they're on the same. Um, it's the same project. And it's the same architectural language, and when it's done, right now the the market rate component, which is about 170 units, is is stacked and being skinned right now, and the affordable components undergoing. We're still you know documenting and designing that. But when it's all done, the whole thing will look like one overall composed piece. 
it'll be by two different developers and two different you know finance mechanisms and, and uh, income levels and they they'll share a common courtyard and uh, a common architectural language so I really I, I, I just like the project I think there's so many it's for me um, and the other good thing about I, I've used this as an example of a project that you know, when people hear modular projects I think of big boxes mm -hmm. this doesn't do that it's really you know an expressive building that you know has lots of you know openings through the building and, and big building reveals and projections and it's a, a very animated muscular uh, project so it's just it's just a cool project yeah that you hear, we hear it a lot now is about sustainability and uh, but I, I'm going to take a little further as uh, and again I welcome a challenge is sustainability and thriving you know What's what does they mean to you, sustainability, and then what does thrive to thrive mean to you? Interesting. I'll take thriving first. There's a okay. I like the word flourish. Okay. A flourishing existence, a thriving existence. I mean, I guess I forget the name of the. There's a healthcare provider, Thrive. I guess that's Kaiser. Oh yeah, it is. Um, that's a un yeah, unintended I, plug. Yeah, there we are. Why not? <laughs> but. To, you know, um, so thriving. So our so a thriving existing is when you're healthy, physically healthy, and you're spiritually uh, connected, and you're doing purposeful work for your life. And doesn't this means your a flourishing existence doesn't mean you're laying on a beach drinking a pink pina colada. You're 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 actively engaged building your building yourself and and the, uh, the world. And I think that we're kind of at a crossroads as a society where a lot of us aren't flourishing. And uh, it's sort of, now's the time to, COVID has taught us that we can, the impossible is somehow now possible, right? Who would have thought mm -hmm. the world would have stopped and we would have, we would have as a, you know, taken on slaying the, this, this, this virus. Um, and now it seems like there's so many other giant social problems our social contract is being renegotiated that now we can create a space for us all to thrive mm -hmm. um and there's you know guys like you and me white guys um it's a lot been a lot easier for us to thrive we sort of set the game up to benefit us um and now sort of we're kind of opening the more seats at the table and it's still happening obviously we're just at the beginning of that but I think at the other end of it, you know, our, we'll have a, a society that will be more conducive to thriving people, people that can thrive in their own lives and flourish, however that, whatever that means to them, you know, it could be in sports or business or who knows, but that's the whole beauty of it is we all have our own path. Um, and I think that, 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 the, the ability, I guess we have more, we have more freedom and we have less freedom at the same time. So we just, we're kind of just, it's this very exciting time to be alive, certainly in the U S because there's a lot at stake and there's a huge amount of animosity and tension. So hopefully we'll get to it. Keep on going. When we're in hell, <laughs> That's right. right. And the sustainability, what, what does it mean to you? I know there's compliance requirements that, 
that, that constitutes sustainability, but also, you know, what does it mean to you uh, beyond just the compliance? Yeah, for, for me, it's land use okay. and not building materials so much. So creating more compact cities, density. Um, that's, I mean, we're, we, have, we're, we have a housing problem because we're not providing enough housing. And so I think having people be comfortable in very dense urban situations and protecting open space around the city so that you can enjoy the benefits of both, right? The cultural benefits of, and the increased salary benefits of being in this urban environment, but, and, and then quickly get out for a hike or a bike ride or go camping uh, in open space wilderness. But we need both. I think we're, you know, we need, we need to be around spaces that we didn't design that don't, that aren't, communicating to us in a sort of self-referential way where in some ways nature doesn't really care about us. And so it's nice that there's, there's that, you know, neutrality and we, we just sort of can enjoy nature, whether it's, you know, nice or not. Sometimes it's not nice. Um, I like that uh, nature doesn't care about us. I don't know. I shouldn't like it, but I, I do because I, I, I think it puts a lot of responsibility on our, ourselves to find, not just to find, but to establish our own place in, in the world. What's your thought on that? Yeah, no, the, the world doesn't, I mean, the whole idea of sustainability is, is an anthropometric idea, anthropomorphic idea, sorry. Um, the world will be just fine without us. You know, if we, you know, keep going the way we're going and we kill ourselves, uh, the world's going to, the earth will will find a way to continue with other life forms. And and it's just made, human beings and many mammals won't be very happy and will probably go extinct. But, um, or maybe Elon Musk will have colonized Mars by then. Who knows? Yeah, what, you, what is your thought on climate change? If, I'm, if, if I can ask, unless you don't want to answer. Yeah, of but, course. No, yeah. I mean, that's, I think the idea that it's climate, <laughs> it shouldn't be like uh, asking your, what's your religion or your or in, your sexual orientation. I mean, it seems um, we, we have to, it's like a, a platform. You have to have a position and have to take an action on it. So it's, it, it seems undeniable. That is happening. You know, I, I read Bill Gates's book, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. I actually didn't read it. It's my first book I, I listened to fully on, on an audible. And it was, I need to listen to it again because he goes through a lot of facts. Um, but he's trying to be optimistic, but the truth is, it's, it's a pretty hard problem to solve. And the big, the big things are giant, you know, driving a Prius around recycling bottles isn't really going to solve the problem. It has to be bigger industrial uh, scale. We have to, you know, we have to, you know, decarbonize the whole economy, and and that's a much bigger, more difficult problem to solve. How about your role? We'll, we'll go to. We'll come right back to you. We're going to go to a, a reintroduction and the uh, an acknowledgement for your organization. We're talking today. With Ken Lowney, architect and founder of Lowney Architecture, our acknowledgement today in the public service announcement is for SPUR. SPUR is a nonprofit public policy organization in the San Francisco Bay Area. They uh, they bring people 
together from across all political spectrum to develop solutions to the big problems cities face with offices in San Francisco, San Jose, and Oakland. They're recognized as a leading civic planning organization and respected for their independent and holistic approach to urban issues. For more information, you can go to their website at spur.org. That's S-P-U-R dot org. As, uh, as we've first noted, we're talking today with Ken Lowney, architect and founder of Lowney Architecture. Ken, that uh, touch on with the climate that your role, what personal role do you have in the climate change? Do you feel philosophically, uh, emotionally, mentally, um, and obviously professionally, but really like, what does it really mean to you and how would you feel like you really contribute? I know you do contribute to the, the betterment, but how, how can you describe it to your audience today? Yes. I, so, we, so we focus on infill projects. So okay. projects that are not on green fields projects that are in cities, projects that are near public transit, projects where if you live on these sites, you're able to shop, support your life and, and work in a, in a, in a near, in a, in a close proximity. Um, of course, that because of, because of those attributes, that means it's more expensive. So that's the problem. Um, going back to this whole idea of density. So it's a, it's a design criteria. It's a fundamental design criteria. I don't think, I mean, green building science is important, but there's so many different issues. There's, I just was reading about meta materials. Bill Gates is investing in, you know, engineered materials that have way more performance value than the natural materials. I that's, that seems like a really interesting, you know, approach so reducing re reflectivity of of buildings to to make cities less hot um, or having the the windows transmit less heat the, all these things seem very interesting to me and you know, I'm not a material scientist I'm an architect so I, I guess I follow along as the sidelines as these guys these smart guys figure these things out and, but I look forward to incorporating them in our buildings of the future. The buildings of the future. Well, I want to ask you this one. What have we not touched on that you would like to touch on uh, for your show today? Well, yesterday, Katera went out of business. Yeah, I just heard about that. And so they had $2 billion. Is that the right number? A lot of money. Let's call it $2 billion. So... The, the problems that we're facing, it, it, so it's not just a money problem is what it tells you, and not just an organizational problem. It's, it's, there's a, and it's one of the, the, how do we, you know, with the cost of building materials, wood, metal, inflation, how do we, how do we innovate in the housing space? And it seems it's, it's remarkably difficult to do, super capital intensive, smart people with good managerial skills keep failing mm. and uh, it seems like this old the old school you know we haven't really innovated construction in a hundred years or I mean you could even say a thousand years but a long long time we're still doing the same kinds of things attach how we construct space conceive space 
Um, and I, th I think that I don't have the answer and I, I'm participating in a lot of factories and approaches that are seeking to do this, but very often they end up like Katera. They end up bankrupt. And so, um, I don't know what this, I, I almost feel like we need like, you know, what was it in World War II? They had the work WPA and the, the government funded all these artists to go paint buildings. And, I recall, I don't know exactly what the program was called, but I do recall that. Yeah. It so we need some, something like resurgence you know, and energy, an energy. Yeah. Instead of maybe instead of tax credits, maybe the state or county should have their own factories, you know, and produce their own affordable housing. Because it needs the kind of, it needs a consistent buyer, consistent market, and it has to be underwritten in a, in a way that it can't really easily go bankrupt and has to solve a need that can generate enough throughput and business to keep it running. Uh, I don't know if anything like that's ever been done, but um, that would be one thing. I think that word you and I talked about earlier is the that entrepreneurship, you know, beginning for, before new. That right. sense of entrepreneurship is uh, usually not associated, at least in my experience and my observation, with any government agency. So it's usually up to an individual yep. to, to have that vision and to have that grit. And I don't know if you can get a degree in grit because it does require that. And going back to what you said about Winston Churchill and go through you, when you're in hell, go through it. There's a grit that's required to ultimately achieve the outcome that you're talking about. What, what's your thought on that? I, th I think, I think my brain went in a different way. Okay. Well, <laughs> I sure. was listening to you, but I was thinking the other part, I th when you talked about, you know, entrepreneurship and c cities and counties and governments not having it, I totally agree. So maybe it's the opposite. It's not state owned means of production. It is, less regulation so instead of more okay. state less state so you know japan has you know for the past 20 years japan has provided enough housing tokyo in particular enough housing so it doesn't the cost of it there's no real cost increase in tokyo over the past two decades in new york and la and san francisco has gone up 200 percent and the main difference is tokyo's unregulated real estate market so mm. no density requirements, no height limitations, no rent control. Mm. And this is the most amazing thing. Those are all amazing, but they have uh, some mechanism where a private entity can deliver a building permit. So you don't have to go through all that stuff. And so I think that that would really, that would sort of free up the market to allow people to do a lot more. Uh, if if the government would just get out of the way, I don't know what the result of that would be, but it seems to be working pretty well in Tokyo. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, that that's like I've not ever heard of that before. How it worked? It, it... <sighs> yeah, so Wall Street Journal had an article that came out I think in 2019 about this, and um, I, I just it summarizes so many of these issues. So I mean, we got We got to do it from the the inno innovation is not just building technology, but it's policy and how we how we manage ourselves and to deliver these things. Um, and so certainly we're not it's not working. So we should maybe we just try a little, 
you know, what's a um, universal basic income? Like little little test cases, different yeah. cities are trying that. Yes. Maybe we should pick a city and there's just no building regulations for 10 years and see what happens. I love it. <laughs> Ken, it's, 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 it's been an honor and pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. Always a real... <laughs> A total honor and pleasure having you on. I, I, this show needs to be longer. Or you got to come back uh, real quick. I love it. This is my second time. Good <laughs> to see you, Tom. Uh, very good to see you, as always. Thank you very much. Our guest today has been Ken Lowney. Ken is the renowned architect and founded Lowney Architecture in 2003 and is president of the firm. Ken's also worked with small, Ken's works with small and large companies, nonprofits, city governments, communities, and private developers in Northern California and throughout the United States. Projects include grocery stores, retail, multifamily housing, restaurants, offices, parking structures, and master planning. Lowney Architecture has won acclaim for its vertical grocery store and prefabricated multifamily housing designs. The firm's also won numerous, and I mean numerous, awards from professional organizations including the Golden Nugget Award and the American Institute of Architects. For more information, feel free to visit their website at lowneyarch.com. That's lowneyarch.com. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Sarah Clad. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Sarah Clad features one-on-one interviews with great designers, contractors, city managers, and thought leaders committed to sustainability flourishing. I had that in for you there, Ken. Flourishing innovation and solutions that are attractive and affordable and create a healthy living environment. Our podcast also illuminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. We look forward to you joining us again next time. I'm Tom Bureau. Thank you.